And welcome back, guys. This is the Flag Hunting Podcast. My name is Chris. I am joined by Ian. And we're going to recap Genesis from last week and then go into Honda this week. Um, But we appreciate you guys joining us um, as we are off and running here in 2023. But uh, I guess, Ian, let's let's kick it from the jump here. John Romp is just absolutely scorching earth. Um, I don't really know that you have probably too much to add other than we've already talked about the last two or three weeks. Um, but I guess we'll just lump them together, right? John Romp and Max Homa, right? They were just kind of the stars of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, neither on our card, and I know that you were kicking yourself a little bit for Homa. So just what are your kind of general thoughts of the tournament and your general thoughts of those two guys at the top, kind of duking it out all the way through? Yeah, I enjoyed Riviera. It was a much more, I guess, I mean, heck, we came out with the same amount of money in our pockets, but I enjoyed the process watching Saturday and Sunday a lot more than I did at Phoenix. I feel like I did a lot better job handicapping the golf course. And, um, you know, we had Patrick Cantley, who obviously came third. Um, like you said, Homa was a guy that was in consideration for a lot of people, given his SoCal roots and his propensity uh, to play well in California. I didn't quite get there. And, yeah, certainly was kicking myself on – uh, on Sunday afternoon, if he would have ended up winning, we'll, we'll talk about Rom first. I mean, it kind of is what it is at this point. He is now the number one player of the world officially after his one at Riviera. He's won what three of his last six, three of his last five PJ starts. Um, and then obviously he won twice in Europe, uh, to end 2022. So he is like to your point, um, on probably the heater of his career. I know that Riviera. Is it quite what the U.S. Uh, doesn't mean quite as much as what the U.S. Open meant to him getting his first major in 2021? But uh, obviously, at the peak of his powers at this point, and I expect him to be the consensus favorite uh, going forward for any tournament he decides to tee up at. Um, Going to be really interesting to see him next week at Bay Hill. It's an elevated event, uh, which we don't typically get the strongest fields at Bay Hill just because of the scheduling spot, and it's lost maybe a little bit of the cachet since Arnie passed. Um, but you know. His driver is going to um, be a big time asset around Bay Hill, and obviously he's got great success to the players, and then the Masters here in just a couple of months, so or just a month or so now. So, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say about Rom. To your point, I think you know, for those of us on golf Twitter that do this week in week out, it was uh, it was certainly frustrating, particularly if you had Homer Cantley, just because of you know a few of the uh, uh, the for lack of a better term, just lucky breaks he got uh, over the course of the weekend. I don't know how much of, I know you were wrapped up in your own thing during Daytona speed week, but you know, I'm sure you saw the, the bounce off the stanchion for, uh, you know, on 17 on Saturday to about four feet for Eagle uh, blows one out of bounds on, I believe that was Saturday as well. It was, was it Saturday or Sunday? I don't even remember. It was on the front nine. I think it was on, no, actually it was on 10 or no, it was on nine or something. It was on the front nine. I think either on Saturday or Sunday. Um, where he blows one to OB left in the parking lot, uh, double crosses any other venue on earth, any weekend game I've ever played. That's, you know, a retee or a drop in a hazard, whatever you, uh, whatever the stake says, uh, the tour gives them TIO relief temporarily, um, immovable obstruction, which is very reminiscent to his U S open win in 2021, where he hit the same left ball, double cross on 10 at Torrey Pines. Um, instead of reteeing, he gets free relief, makes par on the hole, obviously goes on to win the U.S. Open. That was another contentious issue that year, and now it kind of you know, comes back up in a very similar manner and another big-time win for Rom. So, look, taking nothing away, the dude gained. like He led the field in approach. He was absolutely incredible down the stretch, and um, despite showing some vulnerabilities on 10 and 11, you know, I mean, Cantley and Homa were in the chase pack. They were 
Um, I had a lot of friends that were on home. I was obviously on Cantley, so we were going back and forth, uh, kind of sweating all that. And they gave it a good chance. Rom gave him a bit of a sniff with a bogey on 10 and a par on 11. That lost him a few strokes to the field. But from then on, uh, you know, he, he rided the ship pretty quickly, made a big-time bomb on 14 to par 3, and then stuck his uh, approach on 16 to 2 feet. And that was, excuse me, just about it. So, yeah, look, he's the best player in the world. I don't know what his number – I don't know if his number will ever um, get better than like 9 or 10 to 1, at least for the next few months, unless he goes on a really, really uh, steep decline. So, my – philosophy on the top of the board remains the same i mean i know max homa probably had the best putting week of his career and still couldn't keep up with john rom uh we can talk about cantley a little bit later and some of the trials and tribulations that were associated with following him all week but i still believe that although there is a clear hierarchy and he is at the top at the moment like if he's going to be priced at six seven to one like i'm just not there there's just the dearth of talent is just so deep and you can when you can get guys like Patrick Cantley and Tony Finau and Xander Shoffley and Max Homa now, you know that that second and third tier are just so deep, and you can get them at twenty two, twenty five to one. So, as long as the narrative continues to build that you know John Rahm is in a tier of his own, and maybe we can get some values on the board, maybe even on a Rory, maybe on a Scheffler or something like that, um, I think that can maybe only help um, our cause going forward. Because look, I mean Rahm won; he deserved to win, but you could very easily look back. Um, on a few breaks that he got, a few misses that you know Cantley and Homa might have had, uh, that kind of turned the tide very, very quickly. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's no fun when uh, you know when the favorite shows up, gets the breaks, and, and kind of cleans house. I don't, I didn't see many Rom uh, victory laps going on on Sunday afternoon, which is a tough sight for golf Twitter. But you know, it is what it is. This is what you get into, and uh, you know that's the deal you kind of make whenever you're starting your card at twenty twenty five to one. You know, we, we acknowledge every single week that if Rory, Rom, or Scheffler bring their A games, they're going to be right in there with a really good chance to win. So, um, but that's why you give yourself weeks, months to hit a winner in order to break even. Uh, because in the long run, I'm comfortable with my assessment of the golf course. You know, a guy like Patrick Cantley, if you would have told me he was going to lead the field from tee to green, um, I would have put an irresponsible amount of money on him to win at 25 to 1. So, Cantley played phenomenally well. I was really impressed um, with the ball striking with a short game. You know, if a few putts drop, he was pretty much right in the middle of the pack in terms of putting, which um, for a guy like Cantley, especially in a golf course that he's played so many times like Riviera, you would expect, um, you know, him to be a little bit better than, you know, the 70th best putter in the field for the week. So, you know, it that's putting. It's variant. It, it comes and goes. Sometimes you run hot. Sometimes you don't. But, you know, I'll take – the TD green leader in a field uh, 25 to one every single week. So for me, I, I was proud of myself for the Cantley call. One thing that's, um, you know, probably needs to be addressed is by insistence on leading cards with Justin Thomas. Like this is becoming a real problem. Uh, I just continue to fall for it. And I've kind of co- had my come to Jesus moment on Justin Thomas a little bit um, because I, you know, in my, analysis last week at Riviera, I kind of uh, propped him up above guys like Homa, above guys uh, like a Morikawa or a Finau or something like that. I kind of, because he's a two-time major champion, because of obviously he's going to go down as one of the best players of a generation, probably a 20, 25-time PJ Tour winner, multiple majors. Like 
Justin Thomas is that dude. But in terms of the modern betting ecosystem, betting Justin Thomas pre-tournament at 16, 18 to one is proven to be a very, very difficult proposition to continue to, uh, uh, to explain and continue to, it's just, it's a tough path to continue to follow. Um, because if you just, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not, the only one that has figured this out. I mean, I'm probably one of the last people, honestly, to have learned this lesson. I know our boy Byron is a very big time proponent of this particular strategy that I'm about to go through. But when you're talking about a guy betting him at 16, 18 to one, what you're really saying is I trust this guy to go wire to wire if need be. You know, I trust this guy for 70 holes to, you know, to put his foot down on Thursday, be the man to beat for four straight days and get the job done, um, you know, with the pressure of being the hunted. And for me, JT, over the last two years, I mean, it, it hasn't always been this way, which is kind of fucked with my mind because I still, in my mind, still think about the 2017, 2018 JT that was going out there and shooting 59 at Sony and beating fields by six shots. That's just not the JT we're seeing uh, or we have seen in the last two years. I mean, we'd look at, I mean, he's, it's not like he's without accomplishments and without accolades. He's won the players in the PGA championship, but both of those two events followed very similar routes where he more or less shot himself, not out of it, but he was, you know, out of the picture in terms of contention heading into the weekend, um, Saturday and Sunday, respectively for those two events. Um, obviously shoots the 63 on Saturday, at the players to get himself into the mix shoots, uh, I think 67, 68 around Southern Hills and comes back from seven or eight down against Mito and Zalatoris and Cam Young while he pips them. So, for me going forward now, and there will be a buyback point on JT, I'm sure, um, where the number might be, you know, just too obscene for me to ignore the upside at like a 25 or 28. But if we're going forward and we're talking about Justin Thomas in the 16, 18 to one range in any event, particularly, obviously, we're talking about the elevated events coming up. Um, he's going to be a stay away from me. I'm, I'm, I'm just not confident enough that he can sustain his best play um, for 72 holes and, and, pay back that faith you have when you bet a guy at, at 16, 18 to one, because for me, Justin Thomas and and probably why the stats love him so much is when the, when it's going well, he looks like the best player in the world. But unfortunately when things start going, when he, when he starts up the course with his B minus game or a C game, he tends to give a lot back in a hurry, which is, you know, something that I think guys like Rom and Scheffler Cantley um, do maybe a little bit better job of, of, of being able to tread water um, you know, when they don't maybe have their best stuff as, whereas JT, I think is a lot more, um, there's a lot more peaks and valleys with JT, whereas the, where the highs are very, very high, but the lows are very low. And it seems like he's the most dangerous when you can get him at 40 or 50 to one of the live odds board. So for me personally, my philosophy going forward with JT and uh, until he goes wire to wire in one of these big events and proves me wrong, I'm content staying away pre-tournament and you know we always leave a little bit of wiggle room in the out in the uh in the outright budget uh for live ads and certainly you know he's one of those guys where if it is firing he can go out there and shoot 64 63 on any golf course on tour so um i'm much more um i, I have much more faith in jt um certainly at like a 50 60 to 1 price point when you know he's got to make up shots in a hurry versus uh putting a big time investment at 16, 18 to one, if that makes sense, uh, pre-tournament. So 
that was that was kind of the you know I try to come out of every tournament with something that I've learned, whether it's course construct, uh, you know, the course setup or individual player takes or my own personal process. And uh, you know, I was taking a drive on Sunday night, and that's kind of the the thing that uh, that came into my that popped in my head into my head. So you know, when he when he shoots sixty two on Thursday at the players and wins by four, then you know I'll come out here and eat my crow. But until that happens, um, I'm content. Um, at least for the purposes of this show on Tuesday night, when we're talking about pre-tournament outrights, um, it's going to take a really glaring value for me to, to go back to that well and, and really place a lot of my, my faith and my budget in him um, on a week basis, on a week to week basis. Yeah. And to your point, we even have, you know, friends of the pod who, who utilize this strategy of like, they wait till Friday evening, Saturday morning to see if they have a hot Justin coming in and catch yeah. him live at, you know, insane odds. Um, yeah. So yeah, That's I think it's a, I think it's a it's a good it's a good way to look at Justin going forward because like you said when when Justin has one in the past he's he's put those like sixty two rounds up you know like and just like absolutely scorches earth so no I think it's a good takeaway um, so I don't want to talk about the guy who finished P four is is Will Zalatoris back Oh is- baby <laughs> Oh baby I'm gonna lose so much fucking money on Will Zalatoris. <laughs> Because I mean, when we 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 were here with Rory, we talked about Will Zalatoris, forty to one, very enticing price. I was very tempted. Um, obviously, my long shots didn't exactly play very well. I bet Hideki and Scott Zalatoris would have been obviously the more prudent play. It seems like, but we finally got flashes of okay, this is Zalatoris ball striking, vintage Zalatoris ball striking. Gained four shots off the tee, four shots on approach, even gained two shots around the greens. Uh, I believe he was. Yeah, he was seventh in the field from Tita Green at Riviera. And it all lines up, right? This is this is a place where Zalatoris should have a lot of success, where ball striking is a key emphasis. Um ton of long iron play into the uh, tongue of long irons into the greens. And now, you know, he's taken this week off, but we have Bay Hill coming up. We have the players coming up, obviously the Masters on the horizon as well. So the momentum is starting to build. I don't know what the number is going to look like when it's out next, but as someone with a kind of a bit of an outrageous Salatoris future uh, for the Masters um, that I won't get into too much further detail about. Um, yeah, it was a really exciting week. I I think you can, if you are a Salatoris fan, you can feel very, very comfortable going back to that well uh, as soon as next week because he showed, he showed a lot. Well, he was never in the mix, but um, we were looking for steady progress and – it, it was it was on full display 64 around Riviera on Sunday is nothing to sneeze at so uh carried a lot of momentum I hope that books aren't going to overvalue that and place them at 22 25 to 1 I hope we can get a 30 next week that's maybe a bit of a uh, wishful thinking but given the strength of field I projected an elevated event um it's going to be hard to, for books to price everybody in like the 20 22 to 1 range so someone's going to fall and I'm very very willing to go back to Will if uh the number is right next week so um so yeah, that's that's very exciting developments because, you know, there were questions like I I mean obviously we're big Will's out horse fans on this podcast and we just hadn't seen the true flashes he'd had some decent weeks and you know I understand it's, it's a progression and it's a process getting back from injury like like that but um, a fourth of Riviera is about as good of a result as we could have actually asked for because we didn't bet him last week but he showed enough signs now going forward to where. I now have the confidence that, you know, he can lead a field in ball striking again. He can lead the field and approach again. Um, and then obviously contend at some of these tougher venues coming up. 
All right, and looking back, I should have probably brought this guy up first and then ended on a good note, but instead we're going to end on a bad note. Um, I mean, not bad note for us. I guess just bad note for golf. Okay. What's going on with Rory? I mean, like, for this guy that we've hyped up as being, like, the best player in the world for the last year, we were coming off a T32 and a T29 and two elevated events. I mean, uh, I mean, I know, like, that doesn't sound like, oh, wow, it's, it's that bad. But, like, for Rory's standards, right, yeah. that's not, it's not good. Um, and he's yeah. not clearly the guy that we've been pairing up, up against, which is Rom, for the last few months. Mm-hmm. Look at the other side of the coin here. So, uh, I guess, statistically, is there any reason to be worried about Rory right now? Uh, no, this is... I, I dare, dare I say Rory could very well be on the card of Bay Hill. Uh, I really want the narrative to build around Rom at Bay Hill. Hopefully get like a 14 on Rory because the ball striking was absolutely there. Uh, gained over eight shots from TD Green, gained six shots on approach, lost almost five with the putter. So if there is ever like a buy low spot from like a statistical standpoint, like that's what you're talking about. You're talking about a guy that has – I mean, he has to have won a Bay Hill. I'm, I'm not actually sure off the top of my head, but he's contended there enough times. I'm almost positive he's won a Bay Hill. He's obviously one of the players. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried in the slightest to answer your question. Like, I think this is actually a quite a good development as golf betters again, because again, Rahm is now, he's got the crown. He's going to get the hype. He's going to be the man to beat. And now Rory can kind of fly a little bit under, under the radar, a little bit less pressure at a golf at a couple of golf courses coming up that he's, played quite well in the past. So, um, yeah, I've got no reason to really be worried about Rory at all. I mean, obviously you would like to see some life out of the putter before you go investing at 14 to one, but, um, yeah, the ball striking is absolutely there. He's still, in my opinion, you know, second play in the second best play in the world. So it's not like we're not sounding any kind of alarm bells for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then obviously he, he had to overcome the, uh, the vaunted Sobel curse <laughs> that Rory, uh, talked about. So that's a real thing, by the way, like, I mean, I, I said it right here on this podcast that if Sobel finds a way to like, I mean, my numbers were in love with Rory. Like no matter where I looked, I, I was very close to pushing the button at 11 to one last week, opted against it. Um, you know, didn't lose any money in the process, but um, it's, it's starting to get to the point to where like, I, I really thought about just blindly backing Rahm and Scheffler in a head to head matchup against Rory just based on the curse. And it would, those matches would have went two and zero. So <laughs> I need to start keeping like an actual log of this stuff. He's he, uh, full disclosure. He's on Taylor Pendrick this week, which who I'm uh, not on in any capacity. So it'll, it's a development to continue to be monitored. But, um, you know, when flag hunting starts po- posting matchups, uh, picking on one particular guy, you know, you guys know <laughs> what, what is up. So, um, but yeah, I'm, Look, not to overshadow the event we have on hand, but I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting storylines in the next two weeks at Bay Hill and at the players um, because, obviously, now you have a consensus number one player of the world, and what's that going to do to the betting board behind him um, if books are going to protect themselves and price him at 5-6-1 to one, um, at, at those two venues. So, yeah, there's plenty to be excited about. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really I'm, – I'm trying to think of, like, massive disappointments from, like, the top of the betting board. I mean, I would say probably Xander um, would fall in there. Finau would fall in there. But, I mean, pretty much the guys we expected to play well at Revere kind of played well, you know. So, it was it, – it's, it's one of those things where I don't know how many guys' stock is truly down. It's just, you know, now we have a clear um, – a very clear obstacle in the way when it comes down to contending for these top tournaments and God help us. If Rom takes, you know, one of the players or the, uh, 
or, or the Arnold Palmer because then the uh, the hype will be at a fever pitch all over Twitter, and we'll have to really maybe do some soul searching after that. But um, willing willing to uh, willing to you know jump in front of her a couple more weeks, and luckily we don't have to deal with any of that uh, this week as <laughs> the field uh, does not resemble um, the Riviera Field uh, one iota here in uh, Palm Beach Garden this week. Yeah, and I think that's a good. Um, oh, and by the way, I did look up. Rory did win Arnold Palmer in 2018. I felt like he did. Yeah, three, he, felt- he, he won by three strokes over Bryson. So interesting. Okay, gotcha. And that was before Bryson's real transformation. We'll we'll talk about Bay Hill a lot. I'm actually very very excited for Bay Hill because it, it's a golf course that I personally like. And again, like I said in the the preview to the or the opening segment of the podcast, like it's not typically a golf tournament that a lot of players go to uh, just because it's between the West coast swing and the players, it kind of suffers the same, uh, same problems and the same uh, issues that the Honda classic field uh, faces this week. But I think they're giving away $20 million next week at Bay Hill. So obviously I expect a strong field and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be cool to see the best in the world back all together at, at Arnie's place um, to contend for that title. All right. So that being said, let's, let's move forward to the Honda classic. Um, so we are we're off the Florida or sorry off the West Coast swing and heading to Florida, um, which is which is now Ian's backyard. Um, so um, yeah, let's let's kind of hear your course preview and, and what you got to say about uh, Palm Beach. Yeah, about an hour and a half uh, south of me. I'm gonna try and go on Saturday. I've got a a little event to to go to in um, in Fort Lauderdale that night, but I think I can squeeze it in. Um, if I get there early enough and maybe make a day of the Honda classic on Saturday, then head to dinner, uh, that evening, we'll, we'll kind of have to play that by ear, see how the cards developing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, it's going to depend maybe a lot on, um, what the final pairings look like. And if it's a compelling, um, you know, few groups to watch, but we are at the 2023 Honda classic, um, an event that obviously if you've looked at the field list and we're going to go over the odds board here in a little bit, it's not, exactly got the same cachet as you know the face managements or Riviera or the two events coming up uh in terms of field strength but it is an event I really like it's a golf course that I think um it presents these guys a real test I personally really like when these guys have to have to fight against par for four straight days and birdies really really mean something um and it's just a really it's for lack of a better term it's just a bit of a shit show. It's almost like a super speedway version for the PJ tour. Like you're going to, going to see a lot of ejections. Um, don't be surprised if, you know, you're playing DraftKings and one of your guys is like six over par before you wake up on Thursday morning. It's just one of those, uh, one of those type of golf courses that, you know, can really, really go wrong in a bad way. If, um, if you hit a few loose shots, um, I would, I've always kind of thought this is like the perfect European Ryder cup venue. Um, I've always kind of tended to, this is usually the first spot before the elevated events um, brought like the Hattons and the Fleetwoods and the Lowry's and the Rory's and the Fitzies over, um, you know, prematurely over to the, uh, to the U S you know, typically they used to play a lot of the middle Eastern golf courses to open the 2023 European tour schedule and then make their first appearances in Florida. A lot of them have residences in Jupiter, Palm beach, et cetera. And I think it, it carries a lot of, it makes a lot of sense because if there was ever like a a golf course tailor made for like a European Ryder Cup site, like this would be it. I, I, if I was like a high up in the European like Ryder Cup hierarchy, 
I would try to annex Palm Beach Gardens for like two weeks uh, every time they have to host a Ryder Cup because um, everything like the stereotypical European player does like this course um, asks you, you know, it's a, it's a really tough test. There's an emphasis, big time emphasis on scrambling, you know, wind play, grinding out, uh, you know, pars, very little uh, error, margin of error off the tee. Um, and it really does about as good a job as any course on the PGA Tours in terms of inhibiting the kind of the bomb and gouge strategy that you know, the U.S. Ryder Cup team has employed for, for years now. So, um, yeah, you'll, you'll notice a bit of an international flair at the top of the odds board, and I don't think that's by accident. Um, your prototypical American American player probably doesn't want a lot to do with a 7,050-yard par 70 with water on 15 out of 18 holes. Uh, but that is what we have here at the champion course of PJ National. Uh, we've been playing here at Palm Beach Garden since 2007 for the Honda Classic. It's a Tom Fazio design. However, it's more famously known as a uh, Jack Nicholas course, redesigned in 2002. Um, and obviously that ended up, ended up inspiring the Bear Trap moniker that you will hear about 3,000 times on the NBC broadcast, holes 15 through 17. Uh, one of the toughest three-hole stretches on the entire PGA Tour. Uh, obviously, back in Florida means we're back on Bermuda Greens. You can go ahead and put aside the Poana and the Kikuya splits um, for, I guess, the Fortinet would be the next time we're really on um, those type of grasses. But, yeah, more standard Bermuda, which will be a sight for sore eyes for a lot of the good old boys from SEC country, uh, you know, your Kisners and your um, your Headleys and and the like that tend to really struggle on the West coast, um, you know, back on friendlier confines here on Bermuda. Um, they are also some of the fastest greens we'll get on tour. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and then like I kind of previously alluded to year in, year out, uh, PJ national ranks as one of the most difficult tests we get on the BJ tour. talking about non-majors. In fact, only seven players, excuse me, uh, only seven players since 2007 have finished double digits under par at this golf, at, at this golf tournament, uh, the last two champions, Sepp Straka and Matt Jones, finished at 10 and 12 under Ricky Fowler, the 2017 champ, um, reached uh, 12 under par. Roy McIlroy uh, reached 10 under in 2012. Camilo Vajegas in 2010 was the champion. Um, and then Tiger Woods and Tom Gillis came to T2 behind Roy, got to 10 under par. So those are the only seven instances in, what's that, over 15 years now that uh, players have been able to reach the 10 under par threshold for the week. Um, now, what makes this golf course so dis difficult? First off, it's a par 70. Uh, whenever, you know, there's a reason why every US, U.S. Open is played on a par 70. You know, just the lack of par fives really inhibits these guys from generating a ton of birdie chances. The only two par fives on this golf course are coincidentally the only two on the property with a birdie branded percentage over 20%, uh, whereas 10 of the 18 holes in this golf course have a 20% bogey or worse rate. And players make double or worse 7% of the time on four of the 18 holes. So that's uh, for a PJ Tour Pro, that is, <laughs> those are staggering, staggering splits. Um, as you'd expect on a on a waterlogged golf course like this, it's well below tour average in driving distance. It's also well below average in fairway percentage, GIR percentage, scrambling percentage. Uh, like I said, water's gonna play on 15 of the 18 holes, and when when you have you know the Atlantic Ocean's like three miles away from this side in Palm Beach Gardens, so you always have those ever present the ever present threat of coastal winds off the Atlantic, and so. PJ National year in year out rates as usually one or two. Um, I guess since the inception of the 3M Open, that tends to have a lot of penalty shots. Sometimes it'll fall down to third, but in any case, it's always one of the leaders um, on the PJ Tour in terms of penalty shots uh, created. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, um, 
there's just it seems like always the potential for a big number. Your guy can be going along phenomenally well, and all of a sudden you refresh twenty minutes later and he's fallen forty spots on the uh, on the leaderboard. So it's it's a crazy crazy tournament. Uh, we saw one of the best players in the field last year, Jano Berger, held a five shot lead heading into Sunday. That lead was evaporated within I think seven or eight holes. Um, so it's just you know it's one of those golf courses that. You know, there's some courses on tour where if a guy gets a three-shot lead, it feels pretty insurmountable because uh, there's just not a lot of opportunity for guys to go backwards. This is very much the opposite. It feels like you can hold a three-shot lead on 18 and still feel a little bit uh, of a knot in your stomach knowing that anything can really happen around a golf course like this. So getting to the past champions list uh, over the last six or seven years here, last year obviously the defending champion is Sepp Straka beating Shane Lowry uh, by a shot at 10 under par. Matt Jones won here in 2021 at 12 under. Sung J.M. beat Mackenzie Hughes by one in 2020 at six under par. Keith Mitchell uh, bested Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepka in 2019 at nine under. Justin Thomas beat Luke List in a playoff at eight under par in 2018. Ricky Fowler ran away with it at 12 under in 2017. Adam Scott won here in 2016 at minus nine. Uh, so common threads, at least historically, there's been a lot of elite talent at the top of this leaderboard. That has maybe more to do with the fact that, again, this tournament had a bit more cachet on the world stage, on the tour stage. So they drew a lot better fields. And, you know, obviously you tend to get, uh, you know, the cream tends to rise to the top at difficult golf courses. So, you know, when the same guys were showing up like Ricky, JT, Roy, et cetera, Adam Scott, um, you know, they tended to obviously have quite a bit of success here. Um, long-term, there has been a kind of surprising emphasis on driving distance, which you wouldn't really, wouldn't really think on a golf course with this much water um, that takes driver out of your hands this much. But um, five of the last six uh, winners at this golf course have finished inside the top 40 on tour and driving distance. Sungjae was the only exception in 2020. Um, and four of the last six winners as well led this field tee to green um, and have gained an average of seven shots on approach. Um, yeah. So basically what I'm getting at, um, ball striking obviously going to be super important when scores are this low, uh, you creating birdie chances and keeping and hitting fairways and greens are super, super important because just by making pars, you're becoming the field by a 10th or two shots on most of the holes on this golf course, just by you know not making a mistake. Um, let me see here. Kind of lost my place. Sorry. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot of force layups off the tee, given the abundance of water hazards and another big time emphasis, as you'd expect on a golf course, this difficult is a large emphasis on short game and scrambling. Uh, the last three winners of on this golf course were inside the top six and around the green play for the week and seven of the last eight winners finished the season inside the top 50 on tour and sand saves. So some key stats, in my model, uh, good drives gained, um, or good drive percentage, uh, mixed with an off the tee um, aggregate on kind of shorter positional golf courses. So I would prefer if a guy has proven his worth uh, off the tee here, but, you know, places like the players or Harbor town, I think are pretty decent comparables in terms of keeping the ball out of trouble and relying on your iron play and your short game to really get the scoring done. Um, stroke game approach as always will be a key element um, for me this week, particularly from 125 to 200 yards uh, where over two thirds of approaches come from. And then I have another kind of um, I've above average weight as well on short game stats as well. So strokes getting around the greens, sand saves, uh, bogey avoidance, scrambling, 
uh, all that kind of stuff. And then finally putting splits um, on fast Southeast Bermuda green. So if you putted well in Florida, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, et cetera, a lot of these coastal tracks have a lot of the same kind of green complexes, fast, uh, slick, grainy. Um, if you've proven your metal on that, then I obviously give you a bit of an edge. I think you're going to have a lot of six, eight, 10 footers for par around here. So particularly putting inside 10 feet will be a, a big time uh, asset for you this week. Um, and then one final kind of bonus metric that I'm weighing is positive course history on, again, these heavily penal, difficult scoring Florida tracks. Talking about, you know, PJ National this week, Bay Hill next week, Sawgrass the week after that, a little bit of balance bar in there as well. Um, as each of the last seven winners at this event have also happened to have a top 10 at one of the next two stops here. So um, the last seven winners basically have come top 10 at some point in the career at either Bay Hill or the players as well. So there's been a pretty big correlation between these three upcoming stops. Um, and, you know, I think the archetype for success in terms of keeping the ball in play, keeping the ball out of the water is typically priority one um, on a Florida track. And then, you know, with how difficult these green complexes are, the propensity for wind and usually how difficult the scoring conditions are, uh, you're going to have to be forced to get up and down and, and avoid mistakes at all costs. So that will be, um, so yeah, that is, the basis of what I'm, yeah, that's the basis of what I'm looking for this week. If we want to go uh, into the model, there's a clear top two, uh, which will be outlined on the odds board. It is Sung JM at the top for me. It's Shane Lowry second. And then it drops off pretty heavily uh, in terms of like their overall score. But for me, Robbie Shelton is actually number three. Uh, ben Griffin is number four. Thomas Dietry is five. Lee Hodges is six. Matt Kuchar is seven. Um, Alex Noren is eight. Will Gordon is nine. Um, Billy Horschel is 10. Ben Taylor is 11. Chris Kirk is 12. Cameron Davis, LOL, is 13. Uh, Joe Bramlett is 14. And Hayden Buckley is 15 for me. So, um, yeah, a lot of – I know that the field isn't particularly um, sexy on the surface, but we do have a lot of kind of hometown favorites uh, that I'm intrigued – I'm excited to talk about and – Hopefully, um, hopefully we'll be able to see in person this, this weekend as well as they contend for the title. So, um, yeah, that's, that's all I got to pretty much say, unless you have uh, questions about the golf course, let's get into some bets and some odds board discussions. Uh, so let's get right to the odds board. Uh, it is worth mentioning. Um, I mean, we'll probably be there, get there in a minute, but, uh, there was a tweet in December that was put out there from the golf side of things that was like, what were your highest highs and lowest lows? And this tournament last year was one of our lowest lows, um, yeah. as we did have Shane Lowry uh, last year and Sepp Straka just absolutely broke our hearts. Um, yeah. So little spoiler alert, they're both on the cards this week, so that can't happen again. <laughs> um (laughs) we we covered our bases this time (laughs) yep yep it's like the it's like me with the walls of speedway it's like i have to bet him or else he's gonna screw me every time right (laughs) all right so it's it's eight to one yeah yeah yeah. no matter what so let's get to the odds board um like you said clear two at the top here um with sungjae being like the clear guy at the top at 10 to one and then shane lowry at 16 to one um, and you said, just like you said, they're one and two in your, in your model as well. So I'm assuming the six point drop here was enough for you to pull the trigger on one versus the other. That way you had one guy at the top, um, rather than going all the way down the board. I'm assuming that's your thought process here. Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, 
I mean, I understand Sungjae is defending champion. Shane hasn't quite gotten over the hump at the Honda. Obviously came second to your point last year. Um, but given how he played at Riviera, he, he finished definitely T13, getting each of the three T to green categories uh, for the weekend over two shots off the tee on approach and around the greens. Um, I didn't expect to see this type of gap. I did make Sungjae the favorite in my kind of preliminary odds board on you know, Sunday night. Um, but I it, I anticipated more of like a 12-14 range for both of them rather than Sungjae at 10 and Lowry in the mid-teens, 16-18 to 1. Um, and so, yeah, I just don't see a whole lot of difference between both their games. I think they, they do a lot of the same things really well. Uh, both guys do a really good job of uh, limited mistakes off the tee inside the top 10, both of them in good drive percentage. Um, I give Lowry maybe a slight edge in terms of consistency with the iron play. I give Sungjae maybe a slight edge in, you know, long-term or beta putting splits. Uh, both have tremendous short games as well. So I just don't see a lot of differentiating factors within, between the two of them. So you're getting basically Lowry at 30, 35% off the sticker price on Sungjae. So um, I think they are, uh, no matter who you ask, kind of the, the clear two top dogs. I think you have, it's not often you have question marks this far down the or this high up the board, I should say, when we kind of get into the, you know, the third best to the 15th best golfer here in a little bit. Um, so I did want to include one of them, um, especially, you know, if we could get some kind of value at the very top, I didn't expect, I, I, I just kind of assumed that books would make them unbettable just based on both their pedigrees here. And the fact that they are kind of, I think the clear two top guys. So getting guy like Lowry at 16 to one, um, who played well last week. Um, like I said, I can go through the stats here. Ninth in good drive percentage. He's 10th in my key proximity ranges. First and birdie chances created over the last 50 rounds. Uh, fantastic short game as well. Fourth and sand saves, first in bogey avoidance, 13th and scrambling. Um, you know, he is slightly, like I said, slightly below a tour average on these Bermuda services long-term. Um, but keep in mind the last time he came to PGA national, he had the second best punting performance he's had on the PGA tour, uh, since 2019. So, uh, he gained in all three, uh, Florida events on the greens last year. So perhaps maybe a step in the right direction, figuring these type of Bermuda complexes out. He does have residence here. Um, I think he's a, Jupiter resident. So uh, has the hometown narrative, a little bit of the Jupe life, um, sleeping near a bed kind of narrative. And he's just routinely, I mean, if you've been following us for any amount of time, like <laughs> you just know I'm, I'm kind of a slut for St. Lowry. I, um, you know, given how close he came last year, I, how well he played at Raven Air and the discount we're seeing on him compared to Sungjae, I'm, I'm just kind of willing to hop back in for another go. Also, I think something to be said for the fact that, you know, he's a guy that, doesn't have to play an event like the Honda, like especially having played Phoenix, having played Riviera, likely going to have to play Bay Hill and the players. Like I'm actually somewhat surprised to see him here considering he's not technically a past champion. So if you want to play like the motivation narrative, I mean, I think he, he's got to come in here feeling like he, you know, maybe, maybe has some unfinished business or unfinished business around PJ national. And um, in terms of like course fit, I don't think there's a better place on the entire PJ tour. Um, for, for his game than here. So yeah, in love with Shane Lauer this week as per fucking usual, but um, you know, we'll see if that T13 at Revere, how much money it cost me in the long term. but I, I, I am confident 16 that um, this is a good bet in the long run. All right. So next guy's up. Um, even though, even though there's some, there's a lot of guys kind of grouped together here. I think we're going to kind of split them up a little bit. Um, so let's go with let's go with Billy Ho and Aaron Wise, both at 25. Let's start with those two. Um, yeah. I know Aaron Wise is a guy that um, a lot of people were hyping up kind of early, early on in the 2023 season. Um, yeah. Didn't really show up. 
um, all that much. But now that we're back in the Florida swing, um, I heard a quote earlier today that, you know, this time last year was when he ramped things up, you know, since yeah. we came to Florida. So um, it'd be interesting to see what we get from, from Aaron. But Billy is on the card. So I'm interested to hear what you have to hear, hear what you have to say about Billy as well as um, I really feel like I haven't really seen much of him this year. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear the case. Yeah. Here. Yeah, so there's – I think if you're betting on Billy Horschel, and we do have him on the card, he was actually the first move I made on Monday morning, and, and I was not alone in that. I feel like um, you know you can still get, I believe, a 28-1 to 1 on, on MGM right now, a 28 on points bet, and then it starts to fall into the 25-1 to 1 range. We were able to scoop up a 33-1 to 1 alongside a couple of guys um, that I kind of conversed with on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, if you're betting on Billy, I think you're just betting on – the golfing pedigree and the resume that he brings into a field that we're going to get to doesn't have a lot of proven options, right? I mean, this is a guy that has won some of the biggest titles in the sport already. He's a FedEx Cup champion. He won the WGC match play winner at last year's Memorial Tournament, another Jack Nicklaus design, uh, came second at uh, the WGC concession uh, to call more cow in 2021, another Florida Jack Nicklaus course. Um, and obviously he has Florida roots. He's a UF Florida Gator. Uh, doesn't live in South Florida. He's a Jacksonville resident, if I recall correctly. Um, but this is still a golf course, and it's a state, obviously, that he has a lot of ties to and has had a lot of success in um, finishing fourth, eighth, 16th, 16th, and four of his last six starts. Uh, he had one of the better ball striking weeks of his career around PG National last year. And he's one of the few players in this field that not only can, you know, pop with the irons, uh, but also possesses, you know, the that gritty, almost European mentality to, you know, grind out pars when needed. Uh, he's sixth in this field in the strokes gain around the greens, uh, 11th in difficult scoring conditions, uh, 15th in bogey avoidance. So whenever you can get a guy like this, I mean, 33 to one when he's priced, you know, five to eight points above guys, you know, not trying to, not trying to cause any beef here, but you know, like Denny McCarthy and Chris Kirk and Adam Svensson, good players guys that i i think can have good weeks but you know we're talking about to win the golf tournament um i'm gonna take the pedigree here with horschel and and just rely on you know yeah i I, he doesn't have the best recent form to your point you know he's i think he's made uh you know he made the cut at phoenix finished t33 there missed the cut at riviera not a huge concern for me uh last week considering he's like legit never played well at riviera in his entire life so not particularly concerned with uh with a poor performance there, but did show a bit of life with the irons and the putter at, uh, at the waste management. And now again, we're back on friendlier confines for a guy in the Southeast has SEC roots. And um, yeah, I, I'm willing to, to take the risk here on a guy like Billy at, at, at this price. And then you talk about Aaron wise. Look, I, I think a lot of, we're going to get to a lot of really interesting names. I think this 25 to like 40 to one range is, there's just a lot of cases to be made for these guys. Um, and there's a lot of like really differing um, profiles on offer, whether you want to bank on long-term upside long, like the general consensus on, you know, guys that we believe are in store for big things on the PJ tour. If you want to go for maybe more of guys that are veterans with a bit of more of a hot hand recently. Um, and then maybe there's a couple of wild cards in there as well that we, you know, don't really know a lot about at least here stateside. So Wise obviously falls into the first category. He's a guy that, you know, we had on our um, on our next generation golf bracket as a 16 oh, I forgot about that, yeah. Also, I mean, yeah, I, I'm very high on Aaron Wise long-term. I, I understand the risk, uh, risking it here at 25, 28 to 1. This is a guy that was in the final group two years ago with Matt Jones. 
Um, you know, didn't have a great Sunday and kind of fell back into a pedestrian finish in 2021, but he's proven his medal um, around this golf course over three days um, has had a phenomenal track record on short coastal tracks. And I think it's no coincidence that, you know, he tends to play his best golf when we get into Florida. So I do, I do understand that the case we made, I, I just have a little bit, I, I want a little bit more out of the recent form. I just haven't really seen any kind of pulse. If there was any kind of ball striking pulse over the first three events he's played, maybe I'd be a bit more keen, but for him to show up as a pretty average ball striker over the last three months. And, you know, I mean, we haven't really seen peak Aaron wise since I would say like the CJ cup in October. So um, it would be for me a little bit too much to ask for him to just show up and find peak form to win, um, to win here. But I, I understand it. If you just want to bank on, look, this guy in terms of talent might be the third best player in this field. So 25, 28 to one, uh, not a bad price whatsoever. Um, he was not in your top 15 year model though, was he? I don't think I wrote down his name when you read it off. No, he was not. He was not. He's, he's kind of buried again, based on recent form. Bailey's not in my top uh, 15 of my model either, because again, my model. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, 11th. Like yeah, yeah. 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 But th- I guess the point would be like, he's not high enough up to where you would think to bet him at like yeah, this yeah. Type of price where he's the third highest price golfer on the, on the slate right now. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, Aaron wise, I'm, I'm looking a little bit more short, short term as we begin to accumulate more stats in 2023. So until he, I would assume if we, you know, zoomed out a little bit farther and went maybe the last 12 months, the last eight to 12, like I said, eight, 10, 12 months, he would start to pop a little bit more, but we just haven't seen enough recently um, out of wise. So um, I, like I said, I, I understand it. Um, it's not purse for me. And I think, there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of compelling cases to be made from 25 to 35. I think that's a really key range. And um, it might be, it, it, like, if one of these guys wins, I think, like, yeah, basically these, like, 10 guys from 25 to 35 to 1, I think if one of them wins, like, we will see someone on them. But, like, there's no, like, consensus built on golf Twitter yet as, as, as far as I've seen. Um, and Billy might be the closest just because, you know, he was 33 to one on Monday morning and everyone kind of jumped on the, the macro value, I guess, um, of his profile, but, um, but yeah, still plenty of cases to be made for sure. So the reason I skipped, or the reason I lumped those two together is because in my mind, this is where the drop-off happens, at least from a, from a, from uh, from my standpoint. Right. Um, so like you mentioned, there's a bunch of guys grouped here at 25, 28, 30, and even 35. To me, just looking at this, I almost prefer the names in the 35 over some of these guys in the 25 and 28s. Um, yeah. But let me read them off, and then I'll let you kind of give your quick, you know, 30-second outlooks on some of these guys. And then there is a bet, obviously, in this range that we'll talk about in more length. But um, to the guys, casual golf fan, they're going to this, – this is, this is the gif where they're going to be rubbing their eyes, like looking at their odds more like, what? Um, so from 25 to 30, we've got Alex Noren. Denny McCarthy, Adam Svensson, Chris Kirk, Matt Kuchar, Minwoo Lee, Jay Vegas, um, Harris. I'll, I'll just keep going. Harris English, JT Poston, Taylor Pendrith, Thomas Dietrich. That's your 25 to 35 range currently. Um, I just threw a lot of names out there, so I don't expect you to touch on all of them. But um, before you get to the guy that we do have in this range, maybe point out some other guys that maybe you considered or are just complete fades in this range. Yeah, so I, I kind of talked about the, the three tiers from 25 to 35 or the three at least groupings, right? You have the unproven young guy, or not unproven, but you know, we less we know less about them. Maybe they have talent that are that we believe in long term, but maybe not have not shown 
enough recent form. We have the veterans that are unsexy names, but when you run a stat model or you, you know, follow the PJ tour through some of these more unheralded events, we've seen guys like Kucher, Kirk, uh, McCarthy, uh, find the top of these leaderboards now they're at a golf course we'll get i think the case to be made for kurt mccarthy and, and kucher are, are all pretty similar none of them are are particularly prolific ball strikers um but if you talk about a golf course where you have to stay out of trouble where you need scrambling you need to avoid mistakes play a little bit more conservatively and you know all three of them mccarthy um i believe virginia guy kucher and kirk both georgia guys so they have that kind of southeastern tie very, very good, each of them on Bermuda grass greens. So I think the case is, is very similar for all three of them. For me, it kind of comes down to we've seen this move before, especially with a guy like Chris Kirk and McCarthy. Like Kucher, I'll give a bit more of a pass to because obviously he's a bit older and he's won stuff in the past. But for McCarthy and Kirk, is this really a guy like I understand? We've been, we, I understand like the stat models and everything, but we've been down this road before of like, Chris Kirk, you know, being in position to win, playing well, and then he finishes T11 every single time. So until he burns me, um, I'm pretty far off the Chris Kirk bandwagon unless you could get, like, a super good value on him. I mean, it was, what, like a month ago he was, like, 80-1 to to win the Sony, and now he's 28-1 to to win the Honda. I understand maybe a little bit more strength of field, but uh, still I'm just not going to go to Chris Kirk at 28 Similar to Kucher, I mean, I, I understand it. Um, our boy Byron's on Matt Kucher at 20 to 1. My stats like him as well. He's He has the best short game in this field. He's number four in this field and, and Bermuda putting as well. Um, <clears throat> keeps the ball in play off the tee. The irons sometimes are a bit hit or miss, but he had a really good um, tee to green week at the Genesis. I think he led the field on approach for <clears throat> a lot of that event. So <clears throat> I get it. I just think you're buying a little bit high. Um and I'm, I'm just more partial to, again, I, I would, for me, I would rather just go with an Aaron Wise, who I think has maybe more untapped potential and we just know a little bit less about um, versus a guy that I think Kirk and McCarthy, very live to finish T19. When you start asking to, for me to back him at 25, 28 to one to win, it gets a little bit tougher for me to, to, to make that move. Uh, Svensson 28 to one. I mean, this is an Adam Svensson podcast. I can't tell you how many times we bet him at, the Wyndham, the Heritage, the Sony, right at 50, 60 to one. He finishes T9 at the Genesis, probably his best result to date on like a big boy golf course. Um, and now he's 28 to one. <laughs> so uh, I know he he actually opened at like 50 or 60 to one in a couple shops. So that's why <clears throat> when you look at uh, some of the aggregated golf tips that are being um, our boy golf tips checker, Ryan, um, or I'm sorry, his name is Andy, not Ryan. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you look at his, his pie chart, Adam Spence is actually a pretty highly touted name. I would assume most of those guys got the 50 or 60 to one. I don't see much reason to be betting him at 28. Um, coincidentally actually lost strokes, uh, in both ball striking categories at Riviera actually, uh, did all of his damage around the greens and on the green, which is somewhat encouraging considering that's usually his primary weakness, um, in this game. He's typically, you know, carried by his ball striking and held back by a short game. So if that becomes a an ever present, if that becomes you know routine for him to continually gain strokes on the greens and around the greens, he's um, gonna grow in stature in the game pretty soon. But um, yeah, again, twenty eight to one. As much as I love Spencer around a venue like this, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna make that move. Um, 
I don't want to ramble too much. I think he gave me 30 seconds per name. So <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just keep uh, going. Minwoo Lee um, is, is a name that I actually, actually came very close to betting. So for those of y'all that don't know, Minwoo does a lot of his um, – I, I know he's played on the PGA Tour before. Um, actually finished top 15 in the Masters last year. That's, I think, his probably best PGA Tour result to date, or at least stateside result to date. But he's done a lot of damage recently on the DP World Tour and the Australian Tour. I think they're actually the same entity. Uh, but he – I can pull up the results here real quick, but I do know off the top of my head that he has uh, he has eight starts um, over the last – what would that be? four or five months, the worst finish of those eight starts, T13. So we're talking about, you know, maybe some lesser competition, but he has dominated that lesser competition historically. Uh, in terms of like his overall skill set, I think his like his upside is actually very compelling because although he's only a 24-year-old kid, he does a lot of things at a very, very, very high level. Um, he led the DP World Tour last year and around the green play. He led the DP World Tour number one in – one putts and putts per great regulation. He's one of the longest players on the DP world tour off the tee as well. The one thing that holds him back, <clears throat> excuse me, is the iron play. Um, he's kind of just one of those guys. That's a bit min max. He reminds me of him a little bit. <clears throat> I don't want to say if it's Patrick, um, but like in terms of profiles, like he's very good off the tee, very good short game, very good putter. And the iron play kind of holds him back a little bit. Um, but at, you know, to note his last two starts on record in Europe uh, gains five shots on approach at, in Abu Dhabi and then gains three and a half shots on approach in Dubai. So if the iron play does continue at Honda, he does have the type of game. I mean, he has legitimately one of the best short games uh, in the world. So I, I, I am quite intrigued by Minwoo Lee. He's a, he's a guy that's, I very cl- I, I was very close to getting to. I, I've seen people that I respect on him this week. Um, I'm excited to watch him. I, I do. I would love to see him play well so he can maybe get more starts on the PGA Tour because I, I think he's a really, really intriguing talent. He's actually the brother of Min Jili. Um, for those, those of y'all that don't know, who's uh, – I don't know if she's number one. I don't think she's number one in the world right now Right now on the LPGA. Uh, but she had like a 12- to 18-month stretch there where she was like legitimately one of the best ball strikers of all time. Like – hitting everything to 10 feet. Um, so Minwoo doesn't quite possess those kind of ball striking chops, but certainly a really intriguing talent out of Australia. Um, and yeah, I, you know, from a neutral perspective, I want to see him obviously play well. Um, let's see. Pendrith for me, no thanks. I just don't, I don't really get the course fit here uh, for Pendrith. English, Poston. I like Poston a little bit better than English. I think Poston actually not a bad little discount play from a guy like Denny. Um, I think Denny's getting propped up a little bit too much by his T4 at Pebble Beach, whereas Poston, uh, you know, contended at the Amex, which I think is a very similar type of venue to Pebble. Um, Poston, another guy with southeastern roots in North Carolina. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, again, there's there's cases to be made. I didn't quite get there. Let's just go ahead and get to the bed because I've been talking for like five minutes and my voice is going hoarse. And I haven't got to my the actual guy I have bet. Uh, so I have bet Alex Noren at 28 to 1 if you guys – uh, couldn't already tell because I was yeah, that was the one guy I kind of skipped in this range, but yeah, we we made the we made the move on Norn here twenty eight to one. I think very much like Lowry, Norn is another stereotypical gritty European that really thrives in difficult scoring conditions. Um, a guy that's you know he's played well at the Farmers, played well at um, I'm sorry Sawgrass. He's played well here, obviously that we'll get to in a little bit. But when things get really tough and you're forced to play in the wind 
scramble, get up and down, and and just do again quintessential European things. Um, Alex Norton really, really thrives. He's fresh off a, a three start run to end the 2022-2023 season um, of three straight top fives. He finished T4 last year in Houston. Um, you know, one of the stiffer tests we have in this wing season on the PGA Tour. Finished T2 in the DP World Tour Championship there year in finals, basically their East Lake. Um, and then T5 at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship. So um, obviously, like I said, Houston, a very, very stiff test, very difficult conditions. And then the two DP World Tour stars were, you know, featured some big time names like Rom and Rory and Fitz and Hatton and Lowry. Like it was kind of a who's who of everyone that was on the DP World Tour. And he, he showed up very, very well. Um, when you talk about his results here in the past, he has a third and a fifth to his name and two of his last four starts. So unlike guys like, you know, Minwoo and, um, you know, Aaron Wise and maybe like a Pendrith as well. Like he, he actually has a bit of, uh, of a track record around here and he just kind of continued to pop. You know, I was looking for, you know, like I've, I've kind of went too far into the, uh, the weeds already, but I have laid out kind of a lot of cases for guys in this range. But when I kept looking at different metrics, Norm just kept popping every single time I looked, he's 25th in my weighted proximity range inside the top um, 20 and two of my key, two of my three key proximity ranges, 125 to 150, 150 to 175. Um, like Lowry possesses a phenomenal short game. He's inside the top 20 in this field in sand saves, bogey wins and scrambling. He's 10th in short game putting on these fast Bermuda greens. Um, and although his one overarching weakness just in the long term is his, is his off the tee game. Um, but he's played here in four straight iterations of the Honda Classic. He's never lost strokes off the tee in any of those four starts. So also tends to drive the ball well um, at the Players' Championship. He's gained in four of five starts off the tee in Ponte Vedra. So I just really, really gravitate towards Norn in this type of field. He's shown that he can keep up with some of the best fields uh, that we had in the fall and the winter to start uh, 2023. So I think at, at 28 to one, he makes a lot of sense at, at a venue like this, that he's had a lot of success at he's coming in a good form. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, ride that wave at, at 28 to one here. <laughs> what was so funny? Uh, I just, I, I legitimately, I think, I, I think I, I just looked at the clock. I think I talked for like 15 minutes straight. Oh. So. I thought you were looking at my reaction. Cause as somebody who like, I don't know. Some, for some reason, I like to look up Wikipedia pages of these players sometimes as you go through them. And yeah. Alex Noren's Wikipedia picture just completely threw me for a loop because he looks like he's about 80 years old in his Wikipedia picture. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, he, he is 40, so um, but he's in he's in good shape. They did not do him justice oh, in that really? picture. Just looks I'm like waiting for I want to see your reaction. This is not good radio, but like <laughs> what are you talking about the one with the white hat? No, no, no. Here, I'll let me let me share my let me share my screen with you. Okay, yeah, it's gonna make for great radio. Yeah, this is great. This is appreciate you guys sticking around because this is just. <laughs> well, he has he has missed two straight cuts, so maybe that explains it. Oh, come on now, that's not that bad. Oh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, there are wrinkles just everywhere right here. Yeah, man, golf is stressful, man. <laughs> All right. Um, Sorry, great radio. Um, let's move on further down the board here. Um, and I don't really know how much further you want to go because to me, it gets a little rough. Um, but <laughs> we, talked, we, talked about, we talked about Cam Davis. I heard you laugh when he popped up in your model. Oh, um, Robbie Shelton was pretty high in your model, so I'd be curious to hear his case unless you've already, already given up on him. 
Um, Straka, we have just an insane number on him, so we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Adrian Moronk, Ben Griffin, you know, Bang Hoon An, Christian Bazadenhut, uh, Hayden Buckley, a lot of interesting names. I'll give you that. Um, yeah. uh, I know Gary Kigo was on our card here last year, so I don't know what the stats look like for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just listen here. This kind of this last range right here. Let's hear some quick snippets on them, and I'll see if I can find any names deeper down the board that I want to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to point your watch whenever you are just tired of my voice because uh, I've, got a, I've got a lot to say actually. About okay. this um, so unfortunately when you bet, you know, I, I really like Lowry. I really like Norn. I really like Horschel. When you bet 16, 28, 33 to one, you run in a room pretty quickly on the outright card. Um, in an alternate universe where I maybe went away from Lowry, if Lowry wasn't um, at a price that I could pallet, I would be pretty heavy in this like 50 to 70 range which is kind of funny considering we don't have a single one of the guys on the card at the present number uh we'll talk about Seb Straka as you mentioned in, the, in a little bit but yeah it's it's a, just a it's a big range of guys that I actually have a lot of inherent belief in over the long term let's start with Robbie Shelton um we bet him at Pebble Beach um finished T20 there but Shelton's a guy that does two things exceptionally well He's a phenomenal short to middle iron player. He fit, he rates out 12th in my weighted proximity model from 125 to 200. And he's got a phenomenal around the green track record uh, as well. He rates out, uh, let's see here, tabs, tabs, tabs. Here we go. Yeah, he rates out ninth in total around the green play, third in sand saves, 28th in bogey avoidance, 22nd in scrambling. So he does two things really, really well that I, I like. He's an Alabama guy, so maybe a little bit of comfort now in the Bermuda grass. Hasn't putted particularly well on the West Coast. Um the off the tee is the main uh, gripe you have again that you have to have against Shelton, but you know did himself pretty proud at Pebble Beach, another club down golf course. You know he's he played very very well. Um, let me see, he's played very well at uh, the RSM Classic, finished tenth there, sixth the Amex, fifteenth the Shriners, more shorter positional golf courses. So I think there is something to be said for Shelton. Um, he is I think right now forty five to one. That's a little bit too rich for my blood. Um, but if you do notice our Twitter cards, if you guys follow us week in, week out, um, you'll know that there's a little bit of meat left on the bone. It is specifically for this range. Um, I anticipate adding, I mean, unless we get like some kind of crazy drop on like a Aaron Wise or, um, a Minwoo or someone like that. Um, I'll be keeping very close tabs on Robbie Shelton. I'll be keeping very close tabs on Hayden Buckley, on Ben Griffin, on, um, Lee Hodges, Will Gordon um sh kim just a there's a lot of i think interesting names in this range that i maybe don't have the confidence in to pick one and just kind of attach myself to them pre-tournament but certainly if they show some life um thursday friday um i'm very very willing to hop on because i think you know he's a guy that drives the ball incredibly well we've talked about his his uh, off the tee prowess many times in this podcast um you know, on the surface, PJ National isn't an event that would you would think would fit Hayden Buckley. Um, he does tend to struggle a little bit around the greens. He's not the most prolific iron player, but we have seen again bombers in the past have a lot of success. And in the last time he was on kind of a short Bermuda positional golf course, he was what one shot away from winning the Sony Open in Wildlife. So I think he's proven a lot. And you know, he's 50, 60 to one into this field. He's a guy that I think we all on in the golf industry have a lot of belief in. So whenever you can, you know, maybe get a, a palatable number on a guy that, you know, you believe in long-term, that's always a direction that, that I'm interested in. 
Um, even a guy like Aaron Rye, who tends to drive the ball really well in these short positional golf courses, um, had a really, really nice tee to green week as well at Riviera. So coming in with some nice form, 60 to one, I don't mind that Englishman. So accomplishing the win, very, very good all around short game as well. Will Gordon, um, a guy that I routinely love at these type of golf courses. We had him at Pebble Beach. Um, I think you know, we touted him at, at Sony. I don't think we actually got to an outright bet, but we, we kind of outlined him. He popped at Sony as well. Um, 15th of the RSM. Um, he's actually made a start here in the Honda back in 2020 uh, in his debut year on the PGA Tour before he went to the Corn Ferry for one year. Uh, actually led the field off the tee that week, finished inside the top 35 as well. So Gordon's a guy that, again, maybe the profile doesn't fit on the surface, but he has proven himself um, consistently on these type of tracks. Also, sneakily inside the top 35 in short game, my kind of aggregated short game model uh, for Gordon. And, uh, yeah, so that, those would be kind of the names that I'm looking at. Like I said, I, I, it's tough for me to really differentiate. Um, I think they all have interesting profiles. Um, but, you know, you round the room on the card pretty quick. So, for me, um, like I said, they're going to be in the short list. And I would anticipate, you know, if you – I mean, heck, if you don't want to – if you don't want to spend the big money on Lowry – um, I don't think a bad option is just to kind of go to two or three of these guys that you really believe in long term. A guy like a Buckley, a Griffin, a Shelton, a Gordon, um, even like a Nick Hardy, Brandon Wu kind of guy, wouldn't be a bad would be a bad move here. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think I think things really start to fall off. We were talking about the fall off from the top of the board to maybe the twenty range and and so on and so forth. I think the tier kind of really ends at like 70, 80 to one, uh, because I think once you get to like the triple digits, it starts to get really, uh, really ugly in a hurry. So there are a few names that I might want to bring up in the hundreds, but um, in terms of like, you know, tying my week to a particular range, um, you know, I think once you, again, once you get past 70 to one, um, you're really just looking at a few outliers, but other than that, it gets pretty ugly. Okay. Well, we just talked about a lot more names than I anticipated tonight. I'm going to be honest. Because um, when I first looked at this board, I was like, man, are we even going to be able to fill the hour? But here we are. Um, let me try to guess one of your guys in your shortlist in the hundreds. Okay. And then and then we'll recap kind of our card and some of those guys on your shortlist. So I'm assuming Grayson Sig is one of them. Yeah, I like him. Um. I don't know. Are you still in the Russell Knox bandwagon? I don't think you are. Uh, for a top twenty, maybe not. Not to win, but yeah. I mean, he's he's a good win player. Keeps the ball in play. Um, <clears throat> is going to lose about three and a half strokes putting and finish t twenty three. That's that's the Russell Knox experience. So uh, take that for what it's worth. I'm <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I, I'm not particularly interested from an outright perspective. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know who else. <laughs> Maybe like a Mark Hubbard or like a Ben Taylor, but like, yeah, that's about all I got for you. <clears throat> you got it. Ben Taylor. Uh, ben Taylor's a guy that I like a lot. Um, to be honest, I haven't pulled the profile up, but he is. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Yeah, like I said, I've been talking way too much about this uh, haunted plaza field. My body's starting to reject it. Um, but he is a guy that, again, fresh off the Corn Ferry Tour, but finished fourth at the Honda, 21st at the RSM Classic, uh, third at the Houston Open as well as putted very very well in a uh, in a small sample size on these Bermuda grass greens uh inside the top 20 in my weighted proximity model as well um so i think <clears throat> a guy that got a little bit of a taste at, at sony now he's back at sort of a comp course here 
uh, at the Honda Classic. So, yeah, Ben Taylor, 110, 120 to 1, I think is is a solid look. If I don't end up getting to one of the guys in the 50 or 60 range, he could be a guy if I wanted to do maybe <clears> – oh, <throat> my goodness. Excuse me. <laughs> if I wanted to go two guys in the triple digits, uh, yeah, Ben Taylor would certainly be a, a name I have circled. Uh, Grayson Sig, Sea Island, Georgia boy. I always have a bit of a soft spot. Again, I much like Knox, he haven't he hasn't yet um, earned the faith from an outright perspective, but I think his game does suit this place quite well. Um, being a guy that doesn't get him again, hits the ball super straight off the tee. Serviceable short game, good Bermuda putter. I like Grayson Sig. I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball um, and talk about a guy that is making his first PG Tour start this week. I think you might be able to guess who this is if you listen to other podcasts. Uh, 23-year-old out of Texas, national champion last year, probably the best college player in the country in 2022, Pearson Cootie. Uh, 100, or I think he's like in the 200 to 1 range now, 175 to 1 for what I'm looking at. Uh, but Pearson, uh, the grandson of a former Masters champion, uh, let's see, yeah, uh, Charles Cootie, uh, who won the Masters Back in the 60s, he's actually the grandson that has a twin brother that's also making a start. He just money qualified his uh, his brother. Uh, oh, God. What's it? Parker, I think is his name, right? Pearson and Parker Cootie. Uh, but they both went to Texas together. Pearson, for me, is the more compelling prospect. I think they might actually be twin brothers. Um, but, you know, although he just became a pro, I believe, last June, uh, in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, about 15 Corn Ferry starts. Two wins, a top four, a T4, and a T10 already uh, in those 15 starts. Just won the Panama Championship, which was, I believe, won at four under par. It was a um, just a brutal, brutal wind uh, tournament. It was another coastal track, really tough conditions. So he's proven his metal a little bit on the pro circuit in terms of contending on a difficult coastal windy track. Um and I, I, I like Pearson. I like his profile long-term. He sets up as a really – he was a really, really good ball striker in college. Um, Texas guys should be very comfortable in the wind. And, you know, I again, probably not a smart outright bet, but someone to monitor. Again, another guy that I would like to, you know, see play well and get a few starts. We've seen guys come straight from college, you know, and – and making their mark on the PGA Tour very, very soon. So I think Pearson is certainly a guy that, um, while not as heralded as a guy like Morikawa or Hovland, who had, you know, amateur accolades beforehand um, individually, Pearson, you know, uh, you know, did very, very well at Texas. Not, you know, the Sterling didn't win a USAM or anything like that or was never, I don't think, ever uh, number one amateur in the world. Um, but certainly a guy that I think is going to make a living on the PGA Tour, and uh, I'm excited to see how it starts uh, this week for him at the Honda. I definitely did see a few side-by-sides of them, like, playing together this week. But uh, mm-hmm. the the other brother, which I think you said might be Parker. Yes. He must feel really slighted because I can't even find him. I don't think he's listed on the odds board. They didn't yeah. even give him odds. That's rude as fuck. No, he had the Monday qualify. So, I'm sure they'll – so, he just qualified for the field, I think. Yes, so, they probably haven't loaded the, the new guys in. Uh, maybe when the tournament starts, we can get some live numbers on him. I don't know as much about Parker's game uh, because he's a little bit less proven on the pro circuit. Um, so for me, I mean, Pearson, I mean, the fact that he's 175 to one in his PJ tour debut is 
kind of crazy. Um, I can remember the days when Colin Morcala made his uh, PJ Tour start in Canada at Glen Abbey, the RBC Canadian. He was 500 to one. I bet him. Uh, and he, <laughs> I, I think he came like T15 too. And he was like, he was like top 10 in the field and approach like right off the bat. So that was the start of everything um, for me and Colin. <laughs> and, you know, maybe Pearson can, can, uh, you know, a guy like Matthew Wolf, I think he, he won his third PJ Tour start at 3M. So like I said, it's not out of the question. These super talented college kids can come out and make waves. And, you know, this field is wide open once you get past like the first 10 names. So um, yeah, definitely a big time opportunity for both of those guys. Um, also a guy like Andrew Kozan, who's a, a local kid. I think he, he lives in Palm Springs. I'm sorry, Palm beach. Um, went to Auburn, uh, actually played this event last year and made the cut. Um, again, we're, we're deep diving. Andrew Kozan's 750 to one to win. But again, I'm kind of highlighting, uh, some young kids maybe to look out for that, um, are a little bit off the beaten path, took a little bit of a non-traditional road, um, and are getting opportunities here on the PJ tour. So. We're about an hour and 12 minutes in uh, to this podcast. So I think people have had enough of my voice to talk <laughs> through the Honda Classic. Um, so unless there's anything uh, pressing on your mind, man, I think we should. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about Steph Strzok. <laughs> oh, whoops. We totally did not. Okay. Yeah. Let's just make this super quick because I, I, I kind of I, I posted on Twitter on Saturday. I hope people were able to find that. Uh, it was right in the middle of kind of the Daytona countdown. So I understand if. Um, if y'all are not looking for my golf picks for the Honda Classic on Daytona Day. Um, but we are on Sepp Straka just for uh, – just to do our due diligence here. We have him at 101. He was on a bit of a specialty prop menu that I found on our uh, book, Bovada, that had a lot of defending champions. They're basically props where, like, props of defending champions to repeat. Uh, they had Sepp Straka at 101, and given the field strength here, I was like, yeah, that's going to be like 50 to one uh, in 24 hours. So I, I jumped on that. Um, Straka, full disclosure, playing like absolute dog shit right now. But for him, it doesn't feel like it matters. I mean, this is a guy that took Will Zalatoris to the brink in Memphis off of like 10 straight missed cuts. Like he was legitimately the worst player in that in that uh, St. Jude field by strokes gain, uh, by strokes gain metrics over his last 20 starts and then finished second at, uh, at TBC Southwind in a really, really strong field. So I think Sepp's just a guy where you can ignore the past results. You can ignore the recent form. He's back on Bermuda. He's obviously a UGA grad. Um, and he's a hundred to one, at least um, when we got him. Right. So um, you just look back over his, every single top result he's had over the last year or so, kind of the breakout year for Sepp Straka, 2022, 2023. He obviously won this tournament last year, finished ninth at the players, third at the heritage, second at uh TBC South wins seventh at East Lake, the tour championship second again, another playoff loss at the Sanderson farm. So, you know, Florida, Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi. Um, you know, he's, it's pretty clear how he's partial to these kind of Southeastern roots. And um, I'm just like, to Chris's point, not going to miss the bus again, because we've had our fair share of, <laughs> of sweats against Seb Straka um, on this podcast, whether it be in Memphis or, or in Palm Beach garden. So, um, yeah, ended a hundred to one. I look, I understand, uh, he's like what 45 to one now. That's a bit of a tougher price to pay. Um, but yeah, for full disclosure, I bet him a hundred to one. Um, and I guess I'll just say if, if like, if the only option you have is Seb Straka 45, I would rather just go to like a Vegas or a Dietrich or Minwoo, um, a few points higher, um, just based on 
I've got some really bad. I've got some really bad news for you. Oh God. No, uh, no, no, no. We're we're no, we're recording. Oh. Um, and we're gonna have to put this in the show notes. Oh. God. But at an hour and fifteen minutes in, Alex Norton is out of the field. Oh. Okay. Well, we're gonna get our money back. That's the, <laughs> that's the good news. Uh, okay. Yeah, I did see a Rob Bolton. Um. Notifications. So I'm guessing that is it, huh? Yeah, I just happened to click it because I was like, I don't know, something was telling me to click it. I was like, and I just okay. pulled it up, and you probably saw my face as I pulled it up. I was, oh yeah. my god! So yeah, we That's now have some makes... open units. <laughs> <laughs> That's the face Chris makes when we have some real technical difficulties. And I was really hoping we don't have to, we didn't have to talk another 75 minutes on Honda because I don't know if my voice could take it. <laughs> um, well, yeah, okay. So ignore what I said about Hux Norn because he is no longer in the field. So we're yeah, like to Chris's point, we're going to get our. Um, our four units back on that. We're now at Lowry 16, Horschel 33, Straka 100. <clears throat> okay. I was excited to watch Alex Norn. Um, I like Alex Norn a lot, but I think it was, we did pretty- it was definitely, it was, it was my fault, right? Because I made fun of the Wikipedia page and he like strained a back muscle. Like just, <laughs> yeah, he, he all of a sudden started to be on old after he made fun of his, uh, his fucking profile. Make sure I <laughs> he felt the years as soon as that happened. Um, wow. Okay. I did not expect that, but. That's fine. I, we have, pl- like I said, I think we've laid out plenty of alternative options. Um, I will say now, just just riffing live, um, I will be very much on the lookout for Aaron Wajimin Muli. Those are the top of my list as in terms of potential replacements. Um, I don't know if we've gotten tea times yet. Um, so depending on when they're teeing off, the tee off in the morning, I'm more likely to make the move pre-tournament if they tee off in the afternoon i think there's more likelihood that they may they might drift as the day goes on <clears throat> but yeah if i had to kind of power rank my norn replacements it would be wise minwoo and then even a johnny vegas at 30 who i didn't feel like i talked about that much but has been ball striking the absolute hell of the ball um has finished fourth here in the past as well so he does have a bit of pedigree excuse me around uh around pj national so vegas minwoo wise would be my my kind of leans here in the Mid twenties, early thirty range. If we're going to replace Norn, so it looks like we actually do have two times. Strock is at seven twenty three. Okay. Um. Oh, we're on Eastern time. I get to I get to wake up to golf. I'm pretty sure, right? The tee times will probably start at six forty five or something. Yeah, uh, Minwoo is eleven fifty six. Okay, so that's PM. Who's the, who's the other name you said? Wise in Vegas. Wise well, gave you Wise, right? When did Wise tee off? I thought you said Straka. Oh, they're sorry. They're the same group. Seven twenty-three. Oh, okay. It's Post and Strzok and Wise. They're all playing in three. Something probably featured then. That's probably a feature group, or at least uh, one of the feature groups. And then, sorry, what was the other name you said? Uh, Johnny Vegas. Oh, Jay Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Seven forty-five. He's with Horschel, actually. Okay, so that's another marquee group. So, I'll actually be. And <clears throat> so, if they're in feature groups, we'll actually get a chance to see their shots and kind of maybe get a bit of the uh, hashtag eye test, grind the tape a little bit on these three. So, um. Yeah, I'm not going to make any moves right now as it stands. Um, I'll check around my other books to kind of see if there's a number that sticks out to me. Um, but, yeah, I think we did a pretty decent job of laying out cases for guys that we hadn't bet anyway. So, um, yeah, just rewind another half hour and, uh, <laughs> and we'll, you can hear every probably too many of my thoughts about 25 to 35 to 1 on this odds board. But, um, yeah, I'm bummed about Norn, but – it's exciting now to have maybe some new possibilities uh, on guys that, you know, I was felt a little bit guilty leaving off. So, 
All right. So let's wrap up here. We got Shane Lowry at 16 to 1 in the seven units. We are scratching off Alex Norn for four units, but we have Billy Ho at 33, which is Billy Horschel. I know I keep saying Billy Ho. Billy Horschel, 33 to 1 at three and a half units, and Sepp Straka at 101 at one and a quarter units. So, like Ian said, we've got um, four units left to, well, four units that have now opened up, and then another, like, probably one to two for for live ads. Um, so, I know we say it all the time, but good time to follow us on either Action Network. So you find you get those odds as soon as they're posted, or have our tweet live tweets on for Thursday and Friday. That way, as soon as Ian tweets something uh, where he's going, the tweet comes right to your phone, and you can catch the odd before it changed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even more reason to stay tuned as we now have probably an ad coming um, to replace Norrin. So yeah. Um, yeah, I guess with that being said, we'll, we'll close out for the week unless you have any closing thoughts for the Honda Classic. Uh, yeah, not, not a lot, man. I, I really, like I said, I really enjoy this tournament. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and now we have, like you said, probably five or six uh, units to play with in the live market. Unless, again, I see something really compelling between now and Thursday morning. So even more reason to pay attention. Um, hopefully, uh, if anyone that's listening is in the South Florida area and is going to this tournament, by all means, reach out. Um, and uh, we can walk together, sweat together a little bit at, in Palm Beach Gardens. Um, but otherwise, guys, enjoy enjoy the week. Uh, Chris Lowe's NASCAR has started out here in a little bit. We'll talk extensively about Auto Club, Fontana, one of kind of both of our favorite stops on the NASCAR schedule. And then obviously – Upcoming on the PGA Tour, I know this one's one for the diehards. We'll have a one maybe a bit more <laughs> with a bit more compelling discussion at the very top uh, with Bay Hill and the players. So exciting times. The ma- I'm, I'm starting to see Masters uh, commercials on ESPN between college basketball games, which is just food for my soul. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're right in the thick of things in both of our sports, and it, it feels good to, to be right back in, in the process. So, yeah, best luck this week, guys, and uh, let's, let's hit a damn winner. Let's do it. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.